politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Well, everybody's losing their minds over Ron DeSantis signing the parental rights and notification bill. Ron Perlman, who's an actor who has not acted in anything in a very, very long time, called him a Nazi effing pig and said it's the First Amendment. Read about it. Hey, Ron, why don't you read the bill? Just saying. Read the bill. It doesn't say that, man. It doesn't say that. But, oh, but DeSantis is firing back. He's firing back on all fronts. Good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. I hope you're having a great afternoon today. Yeah, he is definitely, definitely firing back on all fronts, and I love it. I think it's great. I really do. I think it is fantastic. You know, the, the beautiful thing about the times in which we live right now, of course, is that we have uh, so many people that just run from the gut, run with pure emotion, and they sound like lunatics. They really do. They sound like lunatics all the time. And whenever I hear people who sound like lunatics, I always think to myself, you know, th- I guess there's just a certain amount of logic that they just purposely leave at the door and on purpose, and they just go, well, you know what the heck with it, so... I'm not even going to bother thinking, reading. I'm just going to go with whatever the media tells me. And the media is running out there saying that this bill says don't say gay. So people think you can't say gay. Who said you can't say gay? Nobody said that. Ron DeSantis uh, fired back at Disney right now for opposing the parental rights bill. Fired back. And I love this too because it goes right to Disney and it goes right to China. And this is everything. And this guy, you know, DeSantis is great. You know why? Because he just gives it right back to him. He just, boom, gives it right back. Boom, right back. Boom. And that's what you got to do. You got to do. You just got to fight these people head on. You have to. There's just no other way. You just have to do it that way. Uh, in relation to, to some of the, uh, some, one of the things I, I saw yesterday, you know, we signed the, the Parents' Rights and Education Bill. It's interesting when, like, a Disney-owned ABC would put that out on tweet. They'd say, Governor DeSantis signs bill to prohibit uh, instruction in sexual identity and gender identity in some grades. Some grades. Why would they say some grades instead of K through three? It's just amazing if you're trying to inform the... So you saw a lot of this. But then for Disney to come out and put a statement and say that the bill should have never passed and that they are going to actively work to repeal it, I think one was fundamentally dishonest, but two, I think that crossed the line. This state is governed by the interests of the people of the state of Florida. It is not based on the demands of California corporate executives. They do not run this state. They do not control this state. I also thought it was interesting. I talked to the Speaker of the House yesterday afternoon, and he said Disney never called him while they were putting this through the House. They didn't seem to have a problem with it when it was going through. If this was such an affront, why weren't they speaking up at the outset? And yet they won't. And then for them to say they're going to actively work to repeal substantive protections for parents as a company that is supposedly marketing its services to parents with young children, uh, I think they crossed the line. And, you know, people ask me, you know, kind of about, you know, their posture on the bill. I said, you know what? If we would have put in the bill that you were not allowed to have curriculum that discussed the oppression of the Uyghurs in China, Disney would have endorsed that in a second. And that's the hypocrisy of this. And, um, you know, we're going to make sure we're fighting back when people are threatening our parents and threatening our kids. 
What's that? So here's what I think. I- Good for him, by the way. Good for him. And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you had the don't say Uyghurs bill, Disney would have been all over that in a heartbeat, right? Don't say Uyghurs. This bill prohibits us from saying Uyghurs. Disney would have embraced it and endorsed it. Uh, he's right on the money about that. See, this is an example of what it means to be a Republican and to fight back. And it, it's about calling them out on their BS instead of trying to win them over because you're never going to win them over. That's the reality of things. You're never, you're never going to win them over. You can't win them over. They hate him, and they were always going to hate him. And part of the reason why they hate him is because he wins. I mean, really, that's part of the reason is that he wins. And they, they just cannot deal with that. So good for Ron DeSantis, by the way, for fighting back. I think it's fantastic. But, but isn't it something, though, that it could be so manipulated – by the people that report information. I bet you most people outside of thinking people that listen to talk radio, for example, or watch Fox News, probably think that there's a bill in Florida where you're not allowed to say the word gay. I bet you people think that. And it's only strictly because of the headlines that they hear on NPR. And and the media does it. What they do is they play a little game. And you'll notice this too. The little game that they play is they say, the so-called don't say gay bill. So-called, what does that mean? Who's so-calling it? You are. You're, you're so calling it the don't say gay bill. They go, well, the Mia, the so-called don't say gay bill. You're the reason why it's the don't, the don't, the so-called don't say gay bill, because you're the ones lying about it. You're the ones lying about it. So that's, that's what it is. Let I me mean, be honest here. Uh, the dishonesty is, is it's just, it's outrageous. It really is. It's so outrageous. And I see it firsthand too, all the time. I mean, I told you that the debate that I moderated last week with the Pennsylvania, um, Family Policy Institute, that debate was censored by YouTube, you know, it was taken down by YouTube. And let's think about the implications of YouTube deciding to take down a Republican debate, which of course is election engineering in, in, in a lot of different ways, election interference, I should say, in a lot of different ways. And imagine then if it was a Democrat debate they took down among primary candidates because they were all going wacky and talking about Marxism. People would lose their minds, right? They'd lose their minds. Let me ask you this question too. Let's say a the husband of a female Supreme Court justice was out there saying some crazy things. And so a bunch of men turned around and said that the, that the female justice should have to recuse herself because of what her husband was saying. Do you think that would go over well? I mean, obviously, if it's a Republican, there's no rules, right? But just in, in, in a, if, if the world was actually fair in the sense of, of both sides follow the rules, would that go over well? Of course not. People are like, why would you punish her for what her husband's doing? That's sexist. She can't be her own person. She can't have her own life. She can't have her own thoughts. Why would you Why would you punish her for what her husband's saying about something? In a normal thinking world, that would be what was said. Of course, if it's a conservative justice, they that wouldn't matter suddenly. But I'm, I'm bringing this up because of Clarence Thomas and his wife, Jenny, texting about January 6th and her text messages to Mark Meadows. That's irrelevant to Justice Clarence Thomas. To suggest otherwise is sexist. No, it really is. To suggest that she's actually a pawn of her husband, that she doesn't have the ability to think for herself and 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 be out there as an independent person on her own. Because clearly now he's the one who's controlling her, pulling the strings or something, I guess. is I'm assuming what Count Chuckula, Chuck Schumer is suggesting here in this clip. 
Because here's Chuck Schumer out there saying that she needs to recuse herself. Take a listen to this. First, I do think he should recuse himself. Uh, the information we know right now raises serious questions about how close Justice Thomas and his wife were to the planning and execution of the insurrection. And yes, I believe I'll answer both your questions. You were very clever. Um, uh, I think there should be uh, some kind of code of ethics for Supreme Court justices. Last one. Well, specifically looking into the well, the January 6th committee is investigating and doing a good job, and I think they will turn over every stone, and we await to see the outcome. But there's enough evidence already, I believe, that he should recuse himself. Why, why should he recuse himself over his wife's opinion on something? Is, is his wife not allowed to have an opinion on something? Is that if so, if his wife has an opinion on something that the left doesn't like, then the Supreme Court justice should recuse himself because clearly she's not allowed to think for herself. This is like one of the most sexist things I've ever heard in my life. The left is so amazing with the crap they're allowed to get away with. They're just blatant racism, blatant sexism, and they just get away with it because, well, you know, that's it. There, there you go. That's amazing. Amazing. Oh, I'm telling you right now. It's uh, truly ridiculous. Want to know another reason why Ron DeSantis is doing great? Why he's kicking butt? They asked him about uh, Justice Thomas and his wife, and he said, the only thing I would say, Clarence Thomas, greatest living justice and one of the greatest public servants in America. Good for him. That's all you have to say. His wife's comments are irrelevant. His wife's comments are, she's a private citizen. Jenny Thomas is a private citizen. She's not even an elected official. And you got this guy, J- Jamie Raskin, talking to Chuck Todd. And he's going, well, let's start with this. Jenny Thomas is a private citizen who has every, every much right as you or me or anybody else to engage in political activity. But she also is equal to everybody else and has no more right to engage in criminal insurrection or coup plotting than anybody else. Is there any evidence that she actually was involved in an insurrection or coup plotting? What does that have to do with Clarence Thomas, actually? No, really, what does it have to do with that? If my wife has different political views than me, should I not be allowed to go on the radio and say what my views are? Because there might be a conflict of interest based on what my wife believes. I mean, maybe at home, but certainly not in the workplace. How's it any different with the Supreme Court justice? I mean, is he ruling on his wife? Is he ruling on Jenny Thomas in some way, shape, or form? And Supreme Court justices don't have to recuse themselves from anything, by the way. They make their own decisions on this. But isn't this is what happens all the time. They, they wind up going down these roads, and the media just goes all in and just runs with them. And they'll, they'll devote so much time to Clarence Thomas's wife over and over and over again. And eventually people just turn the television off. They go, this is annoying. I don't, I don't really understand this, honestly. I don't even really understand what we're talking about here. But, I, but you know, I'll tell you, it, it, there's a lot of nuttiness out there. Like this, don't say gay bill, for example, as they call it, as they, the media calls it, and the left calls it. Kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. <clears throat> kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. We're not going to teach you stuff in the classroom. As a parent of a first grader or kindergartner, bravo. I say Bravo. Good. Keep that stuff out of my kid's classroom. But here's a teacher on MSNBC worried he can't discuss his love life with kindergartners anymore. Okay? I don't need I don't need a teacher to talk about his love life with kindergartners. Nobody needs that. No one needs this. This is what I mean about this is a cultural moment where the left is on the wrong side of this issue in a big, big, big way, and they don't even realize it. They do not even realize it. 
I made a comment to somebody one time about when it was um, when it was gay marriage, and I said, you know, you knew back then it was probably going to wind up passing in a lot of places because you go to the bar or something like this, and people would say, yeah, I don't really care, you know, let them live their life and be happy if they're happy. Like, who cares, you know? You go to ask parents, though, at a bar, if you th- if they want their kids learning about sex and transgender stuff and LGBTQ stuff in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, and they go, hell no. Hell no. There's no reason for it. There's no need for it. And they don't need adults talking about their sex life with kids in kindergarten because that's just freaking creepy. It's freaking creepy and weird, and you know it and I know it. But these are freaking creepy weirdos. That's the problem. This guy's a freaking creepy weirdo. Take a listen. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's twofold. It really hits hard um, in my heart professionally and uh, personally both. Uh, professionally, it, it truly makes me feel like um, I am not trusted as a professional. Um, I know my kindergarten standards through and through, and um, nowhere in our curriculum does it have anything about um, teaching sexual orientation or sexual identity. Um, so for them to, to say that, that, that that's happening, um, it, you know, it's kind of crazy. Um, but uh, we should be able to have discussions, and, and that's what we're encouraged to do in kindergarten. And then personally, because, um, you know, my, my kids do have questions. They want to know who the, uh, my partner is in pictures yeah. outside of my classroom, and I should be able to speak to that. So, so do you worry that you won't even be able to talk about your own personal home life? I mean, I, I have a child in kindergarten right now. I know exactly that my, my child has two teachers, one of which has a daughter at home um, and is single. The other is married and has four children. I, I know everything about their lives because my kid tells me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are 100% correct. Um, that's what we do as educators. We build relationships with our kids. And in order to build relationships, you talk about your home life. You talk about what you do on the weekends. That's building community. I It scares me death that I am not going to be able to have these conversations with my children because they're going to ask me what I did on the weekend. I don't want to have to hide that my partner and I went paddle boarding this weekend because yeah. then they ask, well, what does partner mean, Mr. Bernard? And, you know, I, I'm worried. Can I tell them what it means? I'm also worried for my kids. I have a little girl this year who has two moms and the kids are curious about her two moms. They want to know about her two moms. You know, if they come to if they go to her and ask her about her two moms and she doesn't know what to say, they're going to come to me. And ask me, and then, you know, so what do I do? It just, it opens up uh, for parents to really take some legal action against the schools and teachers. And Oh, um, this is amazing to me. You, you say he, she has two moms. You say you and your partner went paddleboarding. Nothing in the bill prohibits that. It's about teaching about this stuff. And how many kids in kindergarten really want to know what their teachers did on the weekend? I, I mean, I don't, really? Really? They, this is a big conversation on Monday morning. I can't get my kids to ask me how my day was at the dinner table no matter what. We're supposed to leave on Monday morning. Hey, how was your weekend, Teach? What'd you guys do? I do paddle boarding? Go do bike backpacking? In kindergarten. Right. Yeah, no, no. De- I'm sure that they're definitely asking all kinds of questions about the weekend. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, kindergartners are so curious. In fact, Friday that bell rings, they just can't wait to find out Monday morning what their teacher did on the weekend. No doubt about it. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Today is National Vietnam War Veterans Day, and it's important to remember the role of all of our veterans who were, um, of course, involved in that war and to 
Remember just how hard they had it when they came home. This was a bill signed into law by President Trump to recognize today, March 29th, as National Vietnam War Veterans Day, which marks the day the last U.S. combat troops departed Vietnam, March 29th, 1973. More than 58,000 Americans paid the ultimate ultimate sacrifice in Vietnam, and uh, that was um, certainly something that uh, of course, now it deserves, uh, we should always remember this, we should honor it, we should not forget it, of course, because um, it's a very tough day for a lot of people today, no doubt about it. It's a very tough day. And our veterans deserve so much from us. They really do. And there's a lot of questions regarding how many veterans died in nursing homes in New Jersey. So, NorthJersey.com, Scott Fallon has a story today. Two years since the veterans home COVID disaster Governor Phil Murphy's promise of full accounting has gone nowhere. That's right. A barrage of questions fills Regina Desenza's head every time she thinks about what her parents, Charles and Madeline Constantino, suffered through two years ago as COVID-19 swept through New Jersey Veterans Memorial Home in Menlo Park, where the couple lived. Why was her father moved from room to room at the height of the outbreak shortly before he died? Did a breakdown in care allow her mom to become infected and succumb to the virus months later? Why wasn't the facility better prepared when other nursing homes had already been hard hit a month before monday marks the second anniversary of the first confirmed covid case among the three state-run veterans homes in paramus menlo park and vineland where more than 200 residents have died in one of the nation's worst nursing home disasters amid the pandemic Yet Desenza and scores of other family members are no closer to knowing the events surrounding their loved ones' deaths than they were at the beginning of the pandemic. Despite repeated promises to conduct an independent investigation and develop a full accounting of his administration's handling of the pandemic, and in particular what happened in the veterans' homes, Governor Phil Murphy has not provided any substantive explanation for why so many men and women died in the three nursing homes his administration operates. In fact, his administration has fought against the release of key veterans' home documents for more than a year. Now, NorthJersey.com sued the Murphy administration last year after it denied a public records request for emails between top officials at the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs over management at the veterans' homes during the first wave of the pandemic in the spring of 2020. After months of legal wrangling and court hearings, the administration turned over 147 pages of documents. Almost all of them were completely redacted. It was the second time in a year that the Murphy administration blacked out documents NorthJersey.com had sought regarding the veterans' homes. The first came in December 2020, when the administration redacted a key email that tied Murphy's office to a controversial policy to discipline nurses and aides who used the Menlo Park's home supply of uh, Menlo Park home supply of protective masks without permission. Quote, overall, when it comes to anything relating to covid or other public health issues, the Murphy administration has been super tight lipped said C.J. Griffin, a Hackensack attorney who focuses on public records access and represented NorthJersey.com in its lawsuit. I have had to write many objection letters and to sue multiple times on behalf of various requesters just to get some basic transparency. It's important that journalists be able to see how our public employees responded to the COVID crisis so that mistakes are exposed and responses can be improved next time. 
On Monday, following publication of this report, Republican legislators criticized Murphy for withholding documents and reiterated their call for a bipartisan legislative investigation. Senator Ed Durr, Gloucester County, I'll be seeing Ed tonight, by the way, at his fundraiser. Grieving families haven't forgotten and neither have we, said Senator Ed Durr. That's why we need a committee with subpoena power. There is still plenty of unfinished business. Unredacted documents obtained via public records requests in 2020 by NorthJersey.com and other publications, including the Wall Street Journal, offered a glimpse into the breakdown and devastation at the veterans' homes. An inspection report and other documents showed how COVID-19 spread quickly through the Paramus home due to inadequate training, confusion among staff, and some disturbing practices. Nurses' aides didn't know which residents had tested positive and which were waiting for results. A janitor mopped the floor of room after room, unaware that stop signs on the doors meant an infected, infected person was inside. And residents who tested positive for COVID were allowed to mingle with non-infected residents more than a month into the outbreak. And by the way, I should mention too, meanwhile, as all this was going on, you and I were told we couldn't leave our homes. You remember this? Our kids were sent home from school. So so the most vulnerable people in the population were the least protected by this idiot governor, King Philip the Unaccountable. The most vulnerable people in the population were the least protected. But your kids and my kids were at the kitchen table learning, quote-unquote learning. You and I were not allowed to leave the house except for um, you know, essential trips you know, to the liquor store, for example. Another tranche of emails show that managers were so adamantly opposed to letting staff wear masks in the first month of the pandemic that they sent home a worker who refused to remove a mask, barred ambulance workers from wearing them in their homes, and devised penalties with help from Governor Murphy's office. Think of all the mask mandate that went through the state of New Jersey where you'd be fine and businesses were shut down. Here they were put. They were staff were getting in trouble for wearing masks in these nursing homes. You know why? Because they didn't want the uh, setting to be scary for the residents. That was the excuse the governor gave. They didn't want the the setting to be scary for the residents. Despite those reports, many families say they need a top to bottom investigation to explain how so many things went so wrong so quickly. It makes me feel that my parents' deaths were insignificant. And it's not just about them. Something has to be done to make sure this doesn't happen again, DeCenza said. Since the early months of the pandemic, Governor Murphy has been calling for a, quote, full accounting and a postmortem, terms he has used repeatedly but has never precisely defined, to find out what went wrong at the veterans' facilities and other nursing homes. Murphy promised a full accounting to get to the bottom of what happened in October 2020, just days after he fired top officials in charge of the homes, that house hundreds, including many veterans of the Korean and Vietnam Wars. A year later, Murphy said there will be a full accounting without question, independent of my office, during a gubernatorial debate in October 21, when pressed by GOP challenger Jack Cittarelli. And this month, at his last regular pandemic briefing, Murphy said he didn't have a precise answer about when an examination would begin, but that his administration has committed very much publicly to doing a post-mortem, and that will include long-term care. A spokeswoman for Governor Murphy did not respond last week to questions on where his efforts for a full accounting stands. You see how Democrats get away with this crap, by the way? 
whether it's Governor Tom Wolf in New Jersey, in uh, Pennsylvania, or it's Phil Murphy in New Jersey, or it's Andrew Cuomo in New York, or Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, these policies killed our most vulnerable people while they were keeping our kids home and not letting you leave the house. And there is no accounting for this. Nothing happens to them. Nothing. It's pathetic. It really is. Dangerous. A rapid review of how the nursing homes performed during the pandemic that the Murphy administration commissioned for $500,000 barely mentioned the veterans' homes. Meanwhile, in Massachusetts, where more than 70 residents died from COVID at a state veterans' home in Holyoke, Governor Charlie Baker appointed a special investigator within weeks of the outbreak who wrote a 174-page report detailing how care in the facility collapsed. Other avenues to discern what happened in New Jersey homes appear to be in limbo. The state attorney general's office opened a case looking into all New Jersey nursing homes and paneled a grand jury in late 2020 and subpoenaed documents from the veterans' homes. But family members who were interviewed more than a year ago say they haven't heard since from the investigation. The U.S. Justice Department opened a civil rights investigation under the Trump administration and authorities interviewed residents and staff at the homes in October. But... Civil claims filed by the families could have produced information through depositions and unredacted document exchanges, but 119 cases were settled by the Murphy administration in December for $53 million. You know, remember something, too. uh, The attorney general in the state of New Jersey is appointed by the governor. So there's no way that the attorney general is going to actually look into this and find something that implicates the Murphy administration. He's part of it. There's, There's no check and balance there whatsoever. With payouts that average $455,000 per family still pending, many families are reluctant to speak publicly about Murphy's promises. Privately, many say they are angry that more hasn't been done. One of those willing to speak out is Stephen Mastro Pietro, whose father, Tom, died at the Paramus Veterans Home in April of 2020. Quote, the state has settled to try and keep things quiet. Unfortunately, there are things more important than money. While the settlement shows some responsibility, it doesn't satisfy me. Now, for all the Democrats talk about the First Amendment and freedom of the press and all this, right, blah, blah, blah. They are full of it when it comes to that stuff. This guy in Jersey has done more to suppress freedom of the press than any other governor I can think of. We were told Trump was this dictator who was going to put journalists in internment camps, right? Destroy the First Amendment, the spirit of the First Amendment, yada, yada, yada. This Murphy has done everything he possibly can to stand in the way of public information, of the media doing their job, and nobody calls them out on it. In March of 2021, NorthJersey.com requested through the State Open Public Records Act correspondence between former Department of Military and Veterans Affairs Commissioner Major General Jamil Beal and six top-level agency employees, including the CEOs of both nursing homes, as well as Dr. Lisa Hu, who eventually succeeded Beal as commissioner. The request asked for discussions regarding the Paramus and Menlo Park veterans' homes in the first three months of the pandemic. After delays by a Department of Military and Veterans Affairs lawyer who said there were hundreds of emails to evaluate, the agency changed its position and denied what it called a blanket request for documents, even though the request listed specific names, subject matter, and time periods for the emails sought. NorthJersey.com sued the department in May, arguing that the agency could not deny the request as overbroad since it had already located the emails, which were all of public importance. The lawsuit eventually made its way to Mercer County Assignment Judge Mary Jacobson, who told the agency the, the 
department to conduct a search of the emails. The agency returned 147 emails that it said matched what NorthJersey.com had requested. But the emails were so heavily redacted, it was impossible to discern what they contained. Whole sections were blacked out, including one email from the head of the agency that appears to list his financial concerns about dealing with the crisis. After months of negotiating attempts to secure other documents, NorthJersey.com decided to drop the case in late 2021, believing that it would be unable to compel the administration to remove the redactions. This is excellent reporting, by the way. The Murphy administration has often used the deliberative exemption in the public records law that allows agencies to withhold or redact information that the government may still use to formulate policy. Open government advocates have long said that the deliberative exemption is among the biggest and most abused loopholes in the law because the government can claim that just about any piece of information can be used in making decisions, even if those decisions have already been made. We need transparency, so I hope that the state will start voluntarily releasing these communications under the common law to provide answers as to what went on in those veterans' homes. The legislature has held only one hearing back in August of 2020. See, this is the other problem, too, right? You've got this Democrat legislature in New Jersey that covers for the Democrat governor. What they need is they need a legislative panel with subpoena power to enable this to occur, but Murphy's blocking that as well. When asked last month by NorthJersey.com about whether he supports legislative hearings, Murphy said his policy is not to comment on pending legislation, even though he often does, including issuing a press release earlier that same week in support of a package of drug pricing bills. (laughs) When Tom Mastro Pietro, a 91-year-old Korean War veteran, died of COVID-19 on April 11th, 2020 at the Paramus home, The facility was in such chaos that workers had mistaken him for another man who was still alive. They told Mastro Pietro's family that he was getting much better, when in fact he had already been dead for hours. They told the other man's family that he had died when he was very much alive. Tom Mastro Pietro's body was even sent to the other man's funeral home before the mistake was realized. When Mastro Pietro's son Stephen was told of the mix-up, he was crushed. Stephen and his family have tried to move on from the death. They were interviewed by investigators from the state attorney general's office in late 2020, but they haven't heard anything about the investigation in almost 18 months. Unfortunately, there have not been any signs or comments on the negligence or steps to avoid future issues. I haven't heard anything on internal investigations, which is very disappointing and still eats at me, especially if the, after the initial report that showed the leaders holding back information and not taking proper procedures. He still feels a real sense of guilt over his father's death, even though he had no control over his care. All visitors, including family, have been barred from entering the homes under state orders a month before his dad died. You know, that's some of the cruelest things during this entire pandemic was when the government would not let loved ones see their family members in hospitals. That'll go down as one of the most barbaric and cruelest policies that was ever that was ever set. So you have these elderly people who knew they were dying and couldn't see their 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 kids couldn't see their wives wives could not see their dying husbands people couldn't get a chance to say goodbye to their parents it was just downright cruel and they were barred from entering the, the nursing home so tom could not see his dad the steven could not see his dad tom but inside the nursing home it was a freaking disaster and his dad got covid and died 
I still have a hole in my life for not being able to see my father or be able to help and questioning myself if I did the right things for him, he said. And that's why, he says, Murphy needs to live up to his promises. My last conversation with dad was when I was leaving the home and he was crying, thanking me for taking care of him. But did I? This is what a real investigation would do to help me answer this question. Staff writer Dustin Rassiope contributed to this article. Scott Fallon has covered the COVID-19 pandemic since its onset in March of 2020. It's an excellent, excellent piece of investigative reporting. You know, and on that point, I'll uh, give a hat tip to my buddy Johnny Cook, who does the music for the podcast, who sent me this piece from NPR from last week. States pass laws to guarantee rights to visit patients even during a pandemic. Because during the pandemic, as you know, nursing homes and hospitals, as I mentioned you, they, they banned visitors for months, for months. So now states are passing what are known as right to visit laws for future pandemics, which is really good because there's too much heartbreak out there that that occurred. So much heartbreak when people were not able to see their loved ones and were not able to, 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 to even just look at them in person one last time. So I'm glad they're doing this. Because it was just hurtful to think, so hurtful to think about what happened in so many of these situations of people that never got to say goodbye to their loved ones they spent their entire lives with and weathered all these different things because some idiot bureaucrat governor decided that we weren't going to let people visit anymore in hospitals. More states are following suit, which is really good. And they talk about how uh, this one woman, her mom had dementia and moved her mom to a memory care facility near Tampa in early 2020, right before lockdowns began. The family tried video chats or just standing outside her window, but that upset her mom. Like many dementia patients, she couldn't grasp why she could hear familiar voices but not be with them in person. Finally, months later, the family was allowed in to see her, but the facility would keep shutting down anytime a resident or staff member had the virus. So there was anxiety and loneliness and confusion. And it think of how much harder it was in her to not be able to see her family, not be able to see the people that she loved. I mean, there's so many heartbreaking stories about that. So I'm glad states are doing that because it should be a decision, first of all, between the family anyway. And the state should say the uh, say the hell out of it, you know. I mean, how many people would have even been willing to sign something that said they agreed to quar- under penalty of arrest to quarantine at home for 14 days just to let them see their loved one for the last time? People would have signed that in a heartbeat. But they didn't even allow exemptions. There was nothing like that that they allowed back then. It was really hurtful stuff, really hurtful stuff. But um, I don't think Republican states would ever let that happen again. I really don't. I mean, you know, the thing about it is that the Democrats would give us some crap about for the good of society, if you can't see your wife that you've been with for 50 years, oh, boo friggity who, you know, for the good of society, if we can save just one life. Not thinking about how much of health care is about the compassion of seeing a loved one and being around people and how important that is, how important that is. Uh, let me leave you with this as the uh, show uh, podcast wraps up today. As I got to get ready to go out and see uh, Senator Ed Durr tonight at his fundraiser. But uh, here's Biden's spokeswoman, Kate Benningfield. Tragic that Florida passed a law prohibiting kindergartners from being taught sex and gender theory by their teachers. And after, after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis yesterday signed the state's parental rights and education legislation, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona said the administration would be monitoring, monitoring its implementation to evaluate whether it violates federal civil rights law. Aside from monitoring the Florida law, is there any other actions that the White House plans to take? 
Uh, well, both the president and uh, Secretary Cardona spoke out very forcefully uh, against the law. The president also uh, put out a statement uh, yesterday uh, about the uh, tragic impact of this kind of law on incredibly vulnerable uh, uh, population. And he said that, you know, by signing this bill, the governor has chosen to target some of Florida's most vulnerable students and families, all while under the guise of parents' rights. So. The Department of Education, as you noted, uh, will continue, will monitor uh, this law upon implementation uh, to evaluate whether it violates federal civil rights law. And obviously we will uh, come back to you as we have more information on that. Thank you all very much. We'll come back to you. Thank you all very much. I got to go. Got to run. Saki still has COVID, so I, I had the calm today. Thanks. See you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day today. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Appreciate it.